Hey everyone, welcome to B2B Made Simple. I'm Sam Moss, the CEO and co-founder of OneClick Agency. On this show, I interview marketing experts from fast-growing B2B SaaS companies. We feature podcast episodes I'm a guest on, and sometimes we throw in a consulting call I've done with another company. Our goal with this show is to equip you and give you the tools you need to be the best marketer you can be. Hey everybody, welcome back to B2B Made Simple. Joining me on the show for round two is Matt Nolman. He is the VP of Marketing at Lifefield. Matt, welcome back to the show for 2.0. Thanks for having me, Sam. Happy to be back. Yeah, so we're, we're doing this thing. We're going back through some of the guests that we've had on the show and re-inviting them um, back to share kind of what's going on right now in the marketing world, uh, their, their marketing world particularly. And um, I'm pretty excited about this talk, but someone I actually invited on, they'll be on later, said, this is like the reunion tour. I thought that was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. Maybe that's your new series. <laughs> the reunion tour. I think that's going to stick. I thought that was a, a, uh, super cool. Um, but anyway, man, welcome back. I'm excited to have you here to kick us off. I do have a question for you. I can't remember. I probably should have listened back to the original episode, but we're going to throw a question your way to kick it off. If you had to choose between Coke and Pepsi, what would you choose? Coke hands down. Hands down. I, I, hands down. And I drink regular Coke, which is really bad. My fiance is a nurse and tells me I should at least drink diet. But uh, <laughs> recently in the office, we got an entire 12 pack or 24 pack of diet Cokes and half of them had no flavor. Very interesting. Oh, seriously? Wow. That's very interesting. interesting. Well, that's, but I'm still a, Coke guy. still a Coke guy. The reason to stick <laughs> to the good stuff, right? <laughs> that's, that's it. That's it. <laughs> My wife likes the Diet Coke. We don't drink soda a ton, but the, the pure sugar and corn syrup or whatever it is, is the way to go. It. If you ask me, <laughs> gotta love it. <laughs> awesome, man. Um, so with this quote reunion tour, we're trying something different. So last time when we had you on, it was more of like, what are your beliefs on B2B marketing? What should we start? What should we stop do, uh, stop doing? Um, mm -hmm. and I love that conversation, but to make it different, we're going to be diving into what you guys have been doing, what successes you've come into, maybe some things that didn't work well. Um, and with that, is kind of this ABM strategy that you guys have built over, what was it, the past one or two years or six months? I can't remember the timeline. It's always kind of been there, but really the, this past year is where we really tripled down, I would mm -hmm. say, and, and switched our whole business strategy and kind of went into it. So we can go to, into that a little bit later in the episode, but that's it was this year that we made the full transition and it's worked really well for us so far. Gotcha. Um, so you guys recently repositioned the company to be pretty much all in on enterprise. Um, it was a full rebrand, new positioning, new messaging, et cetera, quite a lot to bite off. Um, but I'm curious to kick us off. What did this change do for you guys as a marketing team? Oh, this, this was probably the best thing from a marketing standpoint that we could have done, uh, especially, you know, in COVID times, because you design a ton of websites, right? When you're trying to speak to multiple audiences on one website, which is what we were trying to do, it became really difficult to resonate with the right people because we were really like pulling some stuff from the enterprise side of things and some stuff from our uh, direct to advisor SaaS side of things and pulled trying to pull that together and unify it under one umbrella, you know what I mean, of the company so it's clear and people understand exactly what we did and uh, all the nuances of the solutions that we had was frankly really difficult and the biggest challenge that I had, I think, when I started. And then this year, when we basically decided to go all in on enterprise, because 
that was where our, our main revenue was coming from, or the majority of our revenue was coming from, uh, it really helped to simplify the messaging on the site because I was able to now speak to one audience uh, and went through a real deep dive uh, in terms of understanding all of the nuances of our product, uh, how it all worked. Because on the enterprise side, where we're, we're going deep now and investing all of our, our resources into, we're 90% API driven. So we're, you know, we don't always have a UI to show because that's a lot of the times controlled by the clients that we have. Uh, so for, for the cop, from the copy standpoint, it was extremely important to understand the nuances of the engines and how they work so that I could communicate that effectively on the site. Mm -hmm. You know, it's super interesting that you bring up what a relief it was as a marketer. And yes, we have come across some sites where they have a plethora of personas maybe their ICP differs from day to day and they have all these industries they can serve. And I have seen some companies kind of execute this well. I posted like a while ago about, I think it was StoryBrand. Like they, uh, it's, it's, uh, they go in and refine messaging and they apply to a lot of people and they kind of pulled it off in a way that like, okay, I can see what you mean. But mm -hmm. I am a huge fan of like, hey, this is who we're selling to. It's one industry, it's one vertical, it's one persona, it's, way easier and way less stressful. And it sounds like that's exactly what happened to you guys, right? Totally, totally. It, it's not, I wouldn't say one persona because, you know, in an enterprise sale, especially in financial services, it yeah. can take, you know, years to make that mm -hmm. sale, right? So by that time, multiple, multiple people have been involved in the buying process. True. And yes, there is that ultimate decision maker, which is usually really high up in the company or for us, the head of platform at whatever firm we're, we're going after. Um, but really it's about making sure that our entire marketing mix that we've scaled up to over time, we didn't just start doing everything at once, mm -hmm. uh, is, is giving our sales team enough air cover and enough uh, backbone to stand on when then they go into these accounts. And it doesn't just stop at the, the air cover and the general you know life yield marketing campaigns that we're doing. It's a lot of the stuff that we're doing really is about deepening the relationships with people and making sure that we're creating champions out of the, our customers and the people that will uh, help us to facilitate these deals at these accounts. Mm -hmm. So we have the steps here that I want to walk through, but I have one more question, sure. like the steps that you guys went through during this process. But I do have one more question when it came to like the messaging on your website. Um, before, when you had all these different industries that you served and it wasn't all congruent, did you feel like you were doing your messaging justice. And then now you're doing incredible with like the going full in on enterprise, or was it like, man, I'm surprised people even knew what we did when they came to the website originally. Now we're doing incredible. What was that? What did that change look like? I will say at the time, I thought we were doing a great job and ever everyone at the team on our team thought we were doing a great job too. You yeah. know, we speaking to two different audiences, I think we did the best we could with what we had, especially yeah. because the products kind of did the same thing, but the how you bought the products and how you interacted with them were totally different. And mm -hmm. that was really the, the difficult part was that we were getting some advisors who thought that they were uh, maybe able to get something on the enterprise side and some enterprise customers thinking that like the director advisor product might be right for them. And eventually we kind of, like we ran into, uh, you know, some discrepancies a, a few different times, but not enough where it was really like, Oh, we have to change this and overhaul this now. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was, really just the change in business strategy that made all of all of this happen. And once we did that and executed the new messaging uh, and put it up there, 
everyone kind of looked around. We were like, this is it. Like, Mm -hmm. this is, this is what we were going for the entire time. The whole time it was difficult to kind of unify all of our products under one umbrella, but we, I think we really nailed it this year. And in terms of the messaging um, that people around the industry are using, we started to, I know you talk about this a lot, use our customers' words Mm -hmm. and the industry's words more than what we wanted to say. And honestly, it's, we've probably had more in the news and PR and media attention this year, just because of that, I think, than we have in the past nine years of, of the company mm-hmm. pounding on the same topic. So uh, before we went into the steps, I would say that it, it changed. It really did change the game for us. And now we are exponentially better. But the, at the time, you know, before we did this, we didn't know how exponentially better it could get. Yeah. And I know I said I had one more question, but I have an additional question. Sure, um, sure. <laughs> so as for the business strategy, as a VP of marketing, were you involved in these decisions um, or was it handed down to you? And you're like, oh, cool. We're going to focus on this now. I mean, everyone on our senior team is usually somewhat involved in these decisions, but Mm -hmm. when you actually like look at a a revenue spreadsheet, it's, it's, it was a no brainer for us. So there wasn't much of a discussion. Okay. It was kind of like, we, you know, through, through the pandemic, we wanted to make sure that a, our internal resources were aligned properly so that we could service the clients that we have because we have less big clients instead of more smaller clients. Uh, and we kind of reorganized a little bit internally to make sure that we were properly servicing all of these accounts and giving the, the consulting that really needed to happen in, in place. And with that, uh, it was kind of a no brainer just to move all in on enterprise and, uh, take any distractions away from all of the, you know, the key revenue driving activities that we really wanted to do as a company. So everyone was really on board from the beginning. There wasn't that much of a discussion, I would say, just because Mm -hmm. it was so much of a no brainer for us. Okay. That makes sense. Um, cool. So we do have like the steps you guys walk through. So we'll take like a deep dive on this. There are four that we prepared. But again, if we kind of get off off track, like let's let's go down the rabbit hole. So sure. the first one we have here is you guys, I think you touched on this originally here is you took a general self inventory. So you got into the product documentation to understand what it does. You really got your hands on what's what your customers are going to be experiencing. Right. Um, so what did this take? What did taking the deep dive do for you personally and even your team? I mean, I am one of the, I would say few people on our management team that hasn't been in the industry for 20 years, you know? Mm -hmm. So I grew up in marketing through just ran different SaaS companies and ended up in financial services. And this is, it's been the best thing for me because I was able to take all of my experiences from these other SaaS companies and bring it into an industry that's traditionally, I would say a little bit further Mm -hmm. behind on the, on the marketing side of things. Um, so what it really did for me was give me a crash course in understanding where we fit into the industry at a deeper level. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of marketers can understand at a high level what it does and how it, the brand works and where the messaging fits into all of that. Right. But a lot of us aren't developers. You know, a lot of us didn't come up through the the uh, finance side of the business and then go into marketing. A lot of us are career marketers that are learning an in a new industry as as we go. And, you know, it we I had been here for a year when this happened. So I had definitely gotten entrenched and started to really like be dangerous in terms of understanding what life yield does and where it fits in, but not marketing the 
uh, UI version of our product where I mm-hmm. actually had to understand on the back side of on the back end of things how the engine worked and what inputs were needed and what data is needed and uh, how our enterprise clients are interacting with the product and all of the impact that our product can have towards them. I mean, this was a game changer for me in terms of being able to just communicate life field and, and mm-hmm. create a real pitch that was substantial as opposed to something that was really more service level. Like when you yeah. have a good example is when you have uh, interns or, or recent graduates writing your, your content on a complicated subject, Yeah, you know, no knock against them, but they don't have the experience or the wherewithal to go really deep. And when you're a subject matter expert, who is the head of platform at a company, mm-hmm. right? And you're reading something that, uh, you know, Matt with one year of experience wrote, it wasn't enough, I don't think personally, and maybe I'm being a little too hard on myself, but I don't think it was enough to really resonate and, and yeah. hit with this, this customer base that we really needed to make sure that our content hit on. Mm-hmm. So one part of, of this was me really understanding all of the different nuances of the engine and how it works so that, I could communicate it in a way that made sense to these true subject matter experts who are always going to have more knowledge than me, but it was about a diving into the product documentation, right. And reading through our, our 30 page, uh, API manual, if Mm -hmm. you will, but also really deepening my relationship with our head of product. Mm -hmm. And we had a ton of meetings and a ton of one-on-one conversations about how this worked and things piqued my curiosity. And a lot of times I misinterpreted something and he sent me straight. Um, and it was a really good collaboration, uh, to get us to the point of where we needed to be from that messaging standpoint. So, uh, we've been working with a lot of our enterprise customers for a long time, and we know how they interact with our APIs and how they use them. Uh, and Martin, our head of product was perfect enabled, uh, in a way that he was able to really break down how everyone was using it and how it worked and give me the right sense of what I needed in terms of, uh, being able to then translate that into what we call mm-hmm. English on the on the website that normal people like us can sort of understand what we do, but also these major firms that we're trying to market to also can internalize the different uh, tax efficiency and API capabilities that we have uh, at Lifefield, and then be able to see how they would work with their business. Yeah, you know something that really resonates with me is when you when you know something deeply and very well you you can explain it simply and clearly and i think that that's kind of what the goal was behind what you were doing is like what does this actually do and how do i dumb, dumb it down sounds so bad as a marketer but that's really what but you were that's doing it. It, but exactly. that's it exactly we'll say simplify simplify but yes. there you go <laughs> but yes you're so right it's i don't think that i would have been able to have a to create from essentially from scratch uh, a brand new website that spoke to our ICP the way that it, it needed to mm-hmm. without having that deep understanding of what our products d- do. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and just saying that out loud, like all of our, our enterprise sales leads and our uh, enterprise technology adoption uh, team, they know more than me and will always know more than me. And it's important to know when to pull those guys in and, and be honest with yourself when you need uh, a gut check and you need to fact check. And thankfully we have those, all of the resources that we need internally that are experts within our industry and about our products that uh, the end result, I think we've gotten really great feedback from a lot of our partners and potential clients from it where they've said, wow, I actually understand what you guys do now. Mm-hmm. And that to me was the biggest point of validation. Once we launched within a couple of weeks, we had 
a major firm that everybody has heard of uh, that could be listening to this podcast come to us and say, I really understand how you, what you guys do now. And it started to heat up talks with them. So can't emphasize enough how much, and, and this will never show up on the mm-hmm. stat sheet of the marketing mm-hmm. scorecard. You know what I mean? But <laughs> I still think the most effective thing that we have done this year was start with clarity of messaging, because I think that set the stage for everything else that we do. I think that's extremely important. And I think you answered this question, but I was going to say, once you got into the weeds and figured out, okay, this is how I say things. Did it confirm that you're like, oh, I actually kind of do know our product or you're like, wow, I can explain it so much better now. Both. Both. Okay. It confirmed that I had a great high level understanding of what it does and that I wasn't communicating it ineffectively before. Hmm. But what it did was give me that deeper technological understanding so that now when I look at something, I can see how it, not only how it works at a high level, but be able to apply that concept to a company and ha- and see actually un- and understand how our product can fit into their strategy and then drive results for them mm-hmm. and how it will be uh, implemented from the product standpoint and then how it will be used by their advisors or whoever the end user uh, is in that case. So it really just helped me carry it all the way through. And I think that that has been the, the key to creating this messaging that, that people understand. And I'm not saying that it was all me by any means. I mean, I was the one that wrote it, but or initially, but there were mm-hmm. at least five or six people on our side that gave those fact checks that uh, enhanced it with uh, certain words and, and capabilities and really just helped to massage it and fine tune the messaging so that we all were aligned and speaking to the right person. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of carries nicely into point two or step two, where you guys, you, you, the website mock-up slash trim down, it wasn't like you added a lot of content. Maybe you did, but a lot, but a lot of it was removing. Um, why is that? We, well, part of it was just transitioning from mostly an advisor, uh, user interface focused offering to 90%, uh, enterprise API offering. And therefore mm-hmm. the website just kind of had to switch yeah. no matter what. Um, but we, del- we pretty much eliminated an entire section of the website, created a new one, rewrote the entire homepage and then recreated our resources library and everything from scratch. So pretty much everything is, is brand new. Yeah. Um, in terms of the, the website mock-up and trim down, it was taking that whole download and that 12 to 15 page document and trying to go with a less is more approach because simplicity, you can't be simple if it takes you five paragraphs to explain what you do. You know what I mean? You you need to be able to get your point across quickly and concisely. And it took at least a few iterations for us to keep trimming down what we did to a point where the average person could understand it, but it still spoke to the details that our uh, intended customer needs to have. Yeah. So was that a fight internally or even with yourself getting rid of content or was it like people were like, yeah, let's, let's get rid of this because I think it can go both ways. Right. Definitely. I mean, you know, anytime you transition anything as a whole business, some people are going to be attached to certain pieces of it and feel that certain, certain parts need to, or should stay for whatever reason. But uh, luckily for us, you know, we try and centralize our decisions to the, the teams that need to make them. And mm-hmm. yes, we definitely incorporate feedback from all of the right people, but you can't do marketing by committee. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so in the end, it was, it was uh, my team's 
kind of decision on what went on there, but everybody else had to, to be okay with what we were putting out there. And mm-hmm. especially our head of our product and uh, all of our heads of sales really needed to, to be aligned with what we were putting on there. So it definitely took, you know, the, the majority of the three months that it took to redo the whole website was the messaging piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, the design just kind of fell into place once we had the messaging and the structure in there. But it was, I wouldn't say it was a battle, but it yeah. was definitely a, a series of conversations uh, in terms of what me and, and our team thought was was really important, as well as what the sales team thinks is important. And since sales and, and uh, customer success is really who's talking to the customers and who's mm-hmm. interacting with the market for the most part, they're who we we really listen to and base most of it off of, of that. So all at all points, you know, it was influenced and uh, uh, contributed to by our customers and by our, our most important voices. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- through our sales team, who is, who's been out there talking to them for the last five to, to 10 years. So mm-hmm. no battle, but definitely it was a work in progress. And by the, by the end of it, once the decisions were made and everything was cut down, everybody was uh, definitely on board with where we were. And uh, for the first time, I think we all were really confident with the umbrella that we package everything underneath. Uh, with what we'll call the unified managed household, which is mm-hmm. our category that we're creating um, and, and have moved forward accordingly. And it's bled into everything from all the digital stuff that we're doing with our website being the focal point of it, all the way through the PR stuff that we we can get into later mm-hmm. on this call. Yeah. So this episode. I love that you guys talk to customers originally took that information and implemented on your website. That's important, right? Mm-hmm. But you guys took it a step further and you got their feedback afterwards right and said totally what is this like so what did that look like when you were talking to them prior what was it launch or staging environment or now you have like a a document of messaging what was that like yeah we you know it wasn't a formal process where we just you know went to five of our our current customers and said hey what do you think of our new website yeah we brought the new website into the conversations and they said oh you you, you refreshed. <laughs> we said, yeah, you know, we, we wanted to focus more on X, Y, and Z. And then they would volunteer and we'd, we'd leave it open and they would volunteer their thoughts. So it was more of like a, a piece of every conversation, not something that we, you know, created an entire conversation around because for us, when we're interacting with our customers and uh, our clients, they're, uh, they're expecting us to do a more consultative approach for their needs rather mm-hmm. than asking them about our own um, so as part of the discovery piece in the beginning of those calls, we would bring it up and got really great feedback early on, which kind of showed us that the clarity of messaging is, is what we needed. Now, the design is important. You know, it, it definitely has to look good. It has to look clean. It has to be organized and flow in a way that makes sense to people as they're scrolling and they're interacting with you. Right. But by far, the thing that I think is the most important, as I said earlier, is is the clarity of the messaging. And that's frankly, what people commented on most, you know, as a web developer, you think I'd be like, well, Matt, come on, you need design and, and development to be, you know, high up there, but I'm a hundred percent aligned on that. I, I would rather a clear website with subpar or basic design and development over this Mac daddy, like amazing website. That's confusing. I would take the first scenario every single day of the week. So hundred percent aligned with you there. And that's what we focused on is, yeah. is that is the messaging piece. And then our designer definitely did a great job at organizing it and breaking it up and making sure that when we didn't have, you know, screenshots or a UI to share <laughs> yeah. that it, that it still expressed what we needed and wanted it to express. But 
I will say that our emphasis went, you know, 85% on the content and the, the layout before the design. And we spent a lot less time on like the little interactivity and the cool little animations and the things that kind of make a website super dynamic. You know, we're at a place where we just wanted to make sure that it communicated the right message first and foremost. And I don't think we've really lost any traction or anything because we didn't have those extra elements, uh, the cool, the cool elements, if you will, on the site. Yeah. So you mentioned you took a lot of the language and verbiage from your customers, um, mm-hmm. but you also mentioned that you haven't been at the company as long as other people. So where did you get the language? Had you been talking to customers on your own? Did you use something like Gong and listen to sales calls? Did you scan through emails? Like where did you get this data or information? I try and listen to sales calls when I can. Um, but also like our, we have people that are just talking to potential customers and our own clients daily. Mm-hmm. So those were where I went for the source of truth, because for us, a lot of our, a lot of our clients have been around for five years or more, you know? So with, with our biggest client, uh, it's, it's easy to know how they use us because they've been using us for so long. Uh, and, and we have their language because they've been speaking to us for five years. Uh, the perfect example of using using our customer industry language instead of what we wanted to do was we called our concept that we were pitching smart householding, which, you know, Sam, you have a family, right? You probably have five to or, or more different accounts. You know, you and your wife might have a few different accounts. That's a household. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That is how a wealth manager should today be looking at a set of accounts, not mm-hmm. you, Sam's accounts individually from your wife's or from your, your daughter's account. Right. Mm-hmm. So with all of that, uh, we, we were calling it smart householding because we were like, Oh, the tax piece is the biggest part tax, smart risk, smart. Uh, we were, we were saying what we wanted to say, mm-hmm. the universal term that the industry had been using and our, our, biggest client had been using was unified managed household. Mm -hmm. And we had, I think, resisted using that term for a while because it is coined as an old school term, right? And people had been using it, but there wasn't a clear definition of it. Um, And over the course of the discovery of of this messaging and the website that we were going to release, it became clear that people were calling it unified managed household. And that's what we also needed to call it. This Mm -hmm. small change has resulted in us getting significantly more external press coverage. People want to talk to us more, but also we've been able to get a lot more coverage for our clients and potential uh, prospects simply because of changing our language. Uh, Mm -hmm. Investment News is actually shortly coming out with a cover story on Unified Managed Household. So the biggest publication in the industry is now telling the story that we have been saying is the way you know, Mm -hmm. for 10 years. Now, all these big companies are also working on it. They didn't know what to call it. And uh, we kind of came forward and are defining the unified managed household and creating this category, if you Mm -hmm. will, uh, with all of the different marketing things that we're doing. And now, you know, I will say that my, my boss, our chief growth officer has been telling the same householding story for 10, 12 years Mm -hmm. with Lifefield, but only within the past year, has the press and have external sources really started to a write about it, but B come back to us and say, this how, you know, this household thing is everywhere. You know what I mean? I've been seeing this all over the, the, not just from life field spewing it out, but from all the external publications talking about it as well. 
Mm-hmm. And that's, I'm, I think that that's no accident. You know, it's yeah. us finding the words that are resonating with the industry, doubling and tripling down on it. And then other people noticing that and starting to talk about that as well, because it's terminology they're familiar with. Mm-hmm. You know, that's super interesting because one of the biggest things that I have a problem with category creation is <laughs> as dumb as it sounds, creating the category, right? Because right. no one is searching for those terms. No one understands the terms. And I have seen some companies do some phenomenal work with category creation and they put in the legwork and now it's like this thing. And I'm just like, wow, I thought this has been around forever. No, these guys coined it a year ago, right? Right. But what you guys did is you you amplified what was already there. And sometimes that's all that needs to be done, Right. Totally. We def- I, I, what I say usually, I know we're saying creating a category because mm-hmm. that's the fluff word that marketers love, but we're defining a category. It already existed. You know, mm-hmm. there's, and there's diff- way, a lot of different evolutions in financial services. And there's all these different reasons that it's taking a long time for this idea to permeate and get through to the, these big firms. But it's very, cl- it hasn't been more clear, I think, to anyone who's in a position of power in the industry today that you have to be able to manage across multiple accounts for a client because it's not just, you know, what stocks am I or bonds or ETFs or funds am I picking for you, Sam, right? As an Mm -hmm. advisor, it's how do I get you the most return and the most retirement income? I know we're young, but we're still thinking about that over the long term. And the ways to do that that you can actually control are, you know, cost, risk, and tax. Tax being the one that uh, potentially can have the the most tangible and visible impact in terms of uh, being able to measure the impact of what you're doing. You know, uh, if you organize all of your assets across your accounts uh, right now, it could mean an additional 150 to 300 thousand dollars in retirement, depending on how how much is in your portfolio. It could mean a lot more depending mm-hmm. on how much money you have, right? So you have to be able to give that holistic advice across mm-hmm. an entire household and. Finally, all of these firms within the past year, I think COVID actually slightly slowed down things on the finance tech side in order to accelerate them tenfold going mm-hmm. forward, right? Because the last year, a lot of finance companies couldn't had to figure out how to work from home. They, mm-hmm. they weren't even set up to work digitally and externally in that way. So I think that once they figured that out and realized that technology is central and core to the future of the industry, Mm -hmm. that's when they've kind of realized that this is time to double and triple down on this, get the most out of uh, the vendors that are best in breed, like Lifefield for tax, um, like a couple of other ones for risk, like a few other ones for trading and for rebalancing. Um, All of that coming back together to manage at the household level has been the, the biggest, I'd say has been the biggest impact for us. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like you guys have absolutely killed it with the whole process from really talking to your customers to diving into the product, to messaging to the website. Um, the fourth step you have here is you used your podcast to deepen relationships with potential clients. I think that's super cool, um, but it's playing the long game. So what was that process like of knowing Hey, we need to have patience for this. Yeah. So, I mean, we talked about transitioning the company right mm-hmm. at the beginning of this year. And the website was the first big thing that we did. And that set the foundation for everything. But now that we've transitioned, we're, we're going from trying to get a bunch of advised financial advisor leads to 
trying to deepen our relationships at the accounts that matter most and that are going to make the greatest impact. So we've pretty much shifted entirely to an account-based marketing strategy mm-hmm. with a team of, you know, two. Mm-hmm. And with all of this, uh, the podcast has probably been the most impactful thing that we've done to deepen relationships with people. But before that started with the foundation that the website provided in terms of what do you do? How do you do it? And why does it matter? With that, uh, we now have a central place to send people to and that people can understand what we do with the podcast. It's again, been about the relationship. You and I have talked about this a bunch of times, right? You, you do your podcast, have good relationships with marketers, and it's not a transactional thing. It's not about, Hey, Matt, let me have you on the podcast. Now I'm going to help you with your website. If that happens, <laughs> you know what I mean? Great. Yeah. Like, I, and, and I totally will refer you to other people because of the, the interactions that we've had here. And I know you're, you know, I know, you know what you're talking about based on our conversations, right? That's the same type of thing that we've had with, with us um, at Lifefield. But I would say that for us, the sale is, is so long. It can be 18 months. It can be two years. It could be even longer than that. So uh, we've been using the podcast, not just as a reason to reach out to people, but as a way to ask people about themselves and about their strategy in a forum that you can't ask these questions in any other way. Sam, mm-hmm. tell me about your career. Tell me about yourself. Now tell me about your business strategy. Tell me about how you're executing it. That's not normal to ask someone in just like a regular yeah. Zoom. But when you're trying to showcase the, the successes that people are having uh, and showcase how amazing people have been and, and their backgrounds and how they've got to the place that they are, uh, it, it, I've never seen something else that has uh, been able to break down barriers and get us closer to that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's not, it's not just about what's said on the actual episode. I think that that's, that's a great part of it, right? And it's hearing their strategy and understanding what's going on. But it's about after you hit stop recording, how do you pivot and make it something valuable to both of your teams, mm-hmm. right? And it could be expanding a partnership. It could be exploring a way that we could work together. It could be just trying to get them featured in an article or speaking at an event that we are also co-sponsoring or, or something like that, right? But it's what is the next step after that? to continue deepening that relationship. The podcast opened the door. Mm-hmm. Um, but so our, our host is our chief growth officer. And I would say that he spent his entire career networking with uh, the highest level executives in financial services, right? He's a former head of sales at some of the biggest financial services companies uh, in on the planet. Mm-hmm. And uh, with that, he's been able to get most people to say yes as guests, but CEOs of enormous companies are, are coming on our show yeah. and his ability to pivot to the next discussion with that level of person who's clearly so busy that they, you know, barely have enough time to put their shoes on in the morning. Uh, I've, I think that that's been the key, this key and the secret to our success mm-hmm. with the podcast. Cause it's, yes, it's about creating the content. Yes. It's about asking the right questions on the show. But in, in the end, it's about what's next and how do we advance our cause and, and mm-hmm. ultimately get some type of revenue, whether it's from that person, whether it's from an adjacent person at the company, or it's from another source that we haven't even thought about yet that they can introduce us to. I think you always have to have your eye on the ball in that way. And that is what, from a marketing standpoint, is going to get your senior leadership team to come back to the table and keep funding a podcast that 
you don't really get transactional data or listenership or anything like that from. So mm-hmm. for us, it's about an audience of one. Mm-hmm. You know, it, we want an audience. We want people to listen. But it's always about the guests and how do we help them advance their cause. And that always comes back. Yeah, that's super interesting. So when when you guys go into the interview, I want to make sure this is clear for people. You're not trying to sure. sell them on the call or even necessarily after. It's more of like, what is the relationship that we can build? And I think that's marketers tend to go into something like a podcast and they ruin it because it's how to how do we quantify this and, and make some money and generate pipeline and revenue from it. When instead it's like, this needs to be done alongside things that are already working. And this is, I forget where I heard this or if I came up with it, but it's someone asked me, when is the best time to start a podcast? And I'm just like, the best time to start a podcast is when you don't need a podcast because then you're going to be doing it for the wrong reasons. Um, you need to make so sure you true. have some other stuff working in the background because otherwise it's going to turn into a sales call and then you're going to turn people off and it's going to hurt your brand and people aren't going to enjoy the experience at all. That's totally right. I mean, you of all people know that you have to add value with every with every episode. So we try and focus on doing that for the listeners. But mm-hmm. uh, we also want to understand our our guests yeah. and know what can help them do their job better. And every time that we hear something that we can help with, it's you know it's music to our ears in terms of how we can deepen that relationship and help them get where they need to go. Because I found and what I've seen through the work of our chief growth officer over the last year or two is that the more you help other people accomplish what they want to accomplish, the more they're going to help you when, Mm -hmm. when the time comes and when you actually need something. So uh, I would say that the podcast isn't the only thing that we're doing on this front, pretty much everything that we do from a one-to-one standpoint on the ABM side of things, which is most of our strategy now, or all of our strategy from a marketing standpoint is about deepening those relationships with people is about creating specific videos and content for specific accounts. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, personal capital is, is one of our accounts. We created specific social security videos for personal capital to show them how our product can fit into their, their stack. Mm-hmm. So you have to be willing to go that extra mile when it comes to ABM, you have to be willing to customize things for each account uh, because and when you're doing that from the marketing standpoint, all of your stuff ends up aligning with revenue. You know, at that point, all of your revenue should be marketing influenced. Mm-hmm. Some of it should be marketing sourced as well. And we've actually through um, a lot of our just content promotion, not transactional, promoting our blog posts, promoting our podcasts that we've created, promoting the different um, uh, events that have been successful for us, whether it's a panel or a webinar or what have you. We've gotten a, f- a few sourced uh, potential opportunities that, yeah. uh, and and we need to do that from a marketing standpoint, right? We need to show that we're we're doing our part to build the mm-hmm. pipeline to fill it up. But every single deal that we have now has been influenced by marketing at multiple times because I would say our marketing and sales are so aligned at this point that we're really working in lockstep, and that that has been key to a successful ABM strategy. Mm-hmm. Awesome, man. I think that's a good place to, to end it. I do. I do want to close this out though. Make it a little bit fun. Um, sure. I can't, I think we talked about this, but I'm not sure if we did this the first time or not, but basically I want to hand the mic to you to give you the opportunity to become the podcast host, mix things up, make it a little fun. Um, so awesome. if you have any questions you want to shoot my way to close this out here for the last few minutes, um, throw them over. Definitely. Definitely. So I'll preface this by saying when I started at Life Field, you know, I wanted to make an impact quickly. 
and so I looked for some quick wins, you know, right off the bat. And I think that that started my time here off on the right foot. And it got me deeper relationships and trust from the key stakeholders that I needed to then be successful. Right. One thing that I always felt like I should have started earlier is SEO. Mm-hmm. I thought that, you know, I, we started it at the beginning of this year and really started to go heavy on it. So it was a year before I, we started to invest heavily into it. Uh, that has probably done the best from a cold response, you know, just somebody coming in via that source. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my question to you, and we didn't really talk about this in terms of how we developed the website. We, we kind of poured SEO onto the website after we wrote it for clarity. Mm-hmm. My question to you is if you, now that we've discussed the entire process that we've went through to redesign our website, where would you have put SEO into the mix? How would you have infused those terms or even just the baseline of that strategy into the website for the first release so that we could do it faster, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And make an impact on that faster. So that, that's really my biggest question is where does SEO fit into this whole thing? And yeah, Yeah. I will preface by saying I'm not an SEO expert, but I will share some things like that may have been helpful. So I, if it was us, I probably would have done it in your, your mock-up or wireframe stage. The thing you want to watch out for though, is you guys killed it with the clarity. So to infuse like keywords, to fluff it up, really could have hurt. But then again, you're like, well, we need to get these long-term wins and get the SEO engine rolling. So I would say I would do it as early as possible. So infuse it into the original build, get it into your copy that you have in your, in your documents or whatever it is, get that onto the site. Just be really careful that you're not diluting the clarity of your content in exchange for ranking a couple pages higher. I mean, that's how I look at it. And you guys are proof of this, that the clarity has been something that's really important for your website um, and just the messaging overall. So man, it's, it's just such a, a tough line um, that can be crossed either direction. So I would tow it as, as, as carefully as you can, uh, but there's really no, uh, no a hundred percent clear way to do it. So appreciate that. Appreciate that. So I think that's like the main question that I have for you right now. Uh, I mean, we talked also another one that just came to mind. We talked a little bit about design and for us, design followed all of the copy and everything that we put into place. And that was, I won't say an afterthought because I definitely thought about that as I laid it out and knew what I wanted it to look like, but it was not anywhere near the primary goal of the site was to have it look a certain way, right? would you prioritize design in the same way or would you elevate that more uh, based on all the things that we talked about today? I wouldn't have done anything different. And actually I we're really aligned on this and I have, this is pretty well published on LinkedIn. For example, I, I believe that copy and the messaging is more important than the, the design and the development. Yes. You need a website that's functional and ease of use and the user experience is great. But I, even though we don't write copy and we don't do messaging, I think that's more important. And I think that that should really resound with some people coming from a website, you know, web developer, because it's not really how you would normally hear it. But the reason being is the story and the messaging are what are, is going to convert word sell, not the design. Um, so how we suggest to people to do it is get your messaging and your mock-up or even just a wireframe of here's what we want on the homepage. Uh, some paragraphs, some bullet points, incorporate a wire of wireframe, and then you go to the mock-up and then you go to design and development. 
that's the process that we recommend for everybody. So you guys did it right. And I wouldn't have changed that at all. Really appreciate that. What I'm taking yeah. from that word, sell, not the design. Yeah. That's a <laughs> I'm, great quote. If, that's if, a I great go, quote. if I go to a website and it looks amazing and I can't figure out what they do, I'm not going to buy for them. For, for example, totally um, this is not to slam gong by any means. They just did a rebrand and it looks great. I know what their product does, but I think they kind of missed in the header hero section of their website when it comes to clearly telling what they do. And it sounds so obvious, but if they would have said like, we're simply like a software that scrapes your, your emails and your phone calls to see what your customers and your sales reps are saying. So you can get better insights. I'd have been like, Oh, that's what they do. But they got a little vague and deeper in the website. They do explain, but I think if they had pulled a paragraph that actually explains what they do and put it up top, it would have been so much more clear I don't know. That's just me going on a slight rant. No, Maybe great wrong, example. I think it's it's super important. It's a great example. It's a great example. I mean that that first above the fold piece of your website. And I'm sure you would also second that. It's the most important piece. You have to get your messaging across within that. Otherwise, no one's going deeper, and your bounce rate will be 99.9. percent You know what I mean? So yeah, can't you have to focus on that and then branch down from there and. We try to do that with our website and it, it's paid dividends. So mm -hmm. uh, key takeaway for everybody on here is focus on clarity um, and make sure that your hero image and everything above the fold uh, really gets what, you're, what you do and how you help your customers across up there so that people will dive deeper. Yeah. And it might be three words or a sentence of this is simply what we do. We are a software that does X or we do web development. Like seriously, that's how simple it needs to be. We don't, we don't help you refine your website to make it better for X. No, we just say, Hey, we do web development. People understand that. And I think that you guys knocked it out of the park too. And people need to go back to like, Hey, it's okay to be basic and a little bit overly obvious at first. And it's not a slap in the face. It is, this is clearly and simply what we do. If you want to read further or explore, go for it. And that's how we look at it. Pretty much all our marketing. Couldn't agree more. Awesome, Couldn't agree man. more. Well, Matt, it, this has been awesome. The reunion tour. Um, that's going to stick. I think that's that's pretty cool. So it should. Welcome. It should. <laughs> appreciate you joining me on the reunion tour. Um, with that being said, where can we find out more about you or you know social networks, wherever you may be? Sure. Uh, you can find me personally on LinkedIn. Uh, Matt Nolman, N-O-L-L-M-A-N, if you'd like to search, but you can also find more info on LifeYield at LifeYield.com if you're, if you're interested. So thank you, Sam. Uh, Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, you got it, Matt. Thanks so much for joining me again. This has been, this has been great.